Hey everyone, welcome to An Event for Life with Brad Cox and Shane Buzzer. I'm Brad. And I'm Shane. An Event for Life is the podcast where we take you on a journey through eventful lives of inspirational event industry leaders from around the world. That's right. We'll be sharing their stories, impact and insight into the complex world of events. So if you like these stories, don't forget to like, subscribe and share with your mates. This is An Event for Life. Hello and welcome to An Eventful Life. This is Shane and I'm here with Brad. How are you, Brad? I'm good, mate. Yourself? I'm doing pretty good. It's a beautiful afternoon. Oh, yeah. Lovely. How are you trekking? Yeah, you went away for the weekend? I have been away. I've actually been down in uh, sunny Tasmania, dare I say it. It was absolutely sensational. I've been mountain biking down there, which is, so I've got a little bit of a few days off from the work life and uh, and the family life and the kids and all the rest of it. So a bunch of mates and uh, look, I've still got two arms and two legs and uh, not too many injuries. So that's the main thing when you go out and do those crazy activities. I'm getting a bit too old to do those fun things, but it is good uh, and enjoyable. So and we hired e-bikes. Can you remember? We're, we're yeah. getting old. Like oh, that, that's that's lazy is what that it is. It is lazy, yeah. but yeah. It's, uh, yeah, we covered some good ground and had a bit of fun. So nah, that's the main thing. Excellent. And you mentioned, uh, you know, back to family life. Is the Christmas tree up yet? You're, you're the family man of this duo. Oh, so the Christmas tree is up. The Christmas tree is up. The decorations are out. The countdown's on. The Christmas hats are out. And uh, this weekend's job is to get the outside lights up. So uh, Jesus. Yeah, look, it's a- uh, full, full Griswold. Is that- what oh, it's, it, it's the biggest annual event on the <laughs> calendar in our house. So uh, I've got uh, a little elf uh, son who is who, right into Christmas who takes after me and probably end up in this game because I reckon that's where it all started. So, but uh, no, no good, good times. Excellent. Good time of year. What about yourself? Oh, I don't know. I'll find a tree somewhere. I might put it up. Oh, uh, come on. We need to get some decorations in the studio, I think. That 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 I'm all for, definitely. There but, you go. Uh, yeah, at home, we'll see. Yeah, all right. Fair enough. Well, let's get into it. Today's guest uh, has honed her craft for nearly 30 years. As stage manager for Olympic opening and closing ceremonies, Sydney Harbour New Year's Eve celebrations, and production manager for a variety of theatre and touring dance and productions before taking up residency as the Sydney Opera House production manager in 2007. An illustrious career over 15 years at Sydney Opera House saw her become the Director of Performing Theatre, Arts and Events and eventually onto the role as General Manager of Event Operations and Planning. A current board member of Venue Management Association and recently becoming the Precinct Manager for Walsh Bay as part of Create New South Wales. It's a great privilege to welcome to the show Heather Clark. Welcome Heather. Hey guys, how are you doing? Nice to chat. Very good, thank you. How's things in uh in downtown Sydney at the moment. Where are you? You've got a great background behind you. I know the listeners can't see you, but uh, I believe you might be somewhere interesting. I am in a big commercial space at Walsh Bay Arts Precinct. We uh, have this fantastic venue at the end of Pier 23 in Walsh Bay, um, and which is also the home to Australian Chamber Orchestra, Bell Shakespeare and the Australian Theatre for Young People on Pier 23. And we've got this commercial space here that we hire out for different things. And it's it's a beautiful heritage venue um, here right in the heart of Sydney and on the harbour. And it's a beautiful day here in Sydney too. So not that I want to get a bit competitive between Sydney and Melbourne. Oh, we like a bit of competition between the two. Yeah, there'll, there'll be a bit of that throughout the uh, the discussion, no <laughs> doubt. But uh, no, thanks for coming along. And I purposely, well, we didn't ask you where you were um, when we were having a brief chat prior, but thanks for that. Uh, that contribution and uh, let us know where you are. There's obviously lots going on where you are. Yeah, we're um, we're really getting ready for Sydney Festival at the moment. Sydney Festival are going to make Walsh Bay um, turn it into the Thirsty Mile, a play on the heritage of the site. It used to be the was called the Hungry Mile here back in the 1920s. 
So Sydney Festival are going to come and um, make the arts precinct their home and they're using all the venues here and um, a big art installation here in the in the um, this big venue that I'm in now. So it's going to be really exciting times in January. I'm really looking forward to it. Now we've, we've got a lot to get through today, but let's take it back to the early days. Am I right in saying that you're an Adelaide girl? I am an Adelaide girl. Actually, I'm a, uh, I grew up in country South Australia in Mandala. I went to Mandala Primary School. There was about 80 of us in Mandala Primary School. And then I went to Bordertown High School, there were 300 of us there. So a very different life to here in Sydney. I think my son's primary school, there was 1,200. <laughs> so it's uh, big difference, life's yeah. a bit different. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I grew up on a farm, grew up in the country, southeast South Australia, and uh, did my year 12 and then uh, moved to Adelaide to, and went to Flinders University for a couple of years doing an arts degree. And were you always interested in sort of the arts background or the event background and production? You know, or how did you fall into that to start with? Yeah, look, I wasn't, or I was always a bit of a show pony. Like I liked being on stage, a bit of a show off uh, in the school productions and everything. But um, to be honest, I didn't really know a career in the arts existed until uh, after I'd uh, well, when I moved to Adelaide, I started studying um, at Flinders University. I was actually um, doing an arts degree there and I got involved in an amateur theatre company, La Mama. And so I was about 19. Um, and then I started um, going out with a guy there who was um, applying to get into the Centre for Performing Arts. And um, I thought, oh, what's all this about? And as I was getting involved in amateur theatre and I got this job called a stage manager. I didn't even know what a stage manager did. And so, the, you know, in amateur theatre, you do everything. You paint the set, you're on stage, you're operating the lights. And so I started doing that and thought, oh, I want this theatre thing. And then this guy that I started seeing was started talking about that you could actually do this stuff as a job. And I thought, oh, that's strange. That's interesting. And so... Um, a year later, I applied for the Centre for Performing Arts and got involved in technical, in technical theatre. But before that, I in that I took a year off uni, and that's when I got really involved in um, in amateur theatre and just started volunteering around the place. And I went and volunteered at the uh, what was the Rock and Roll of Stedford in Adelaide, and it was the most amazing uh, couple of weeks. I just had so much fun working on this production. I just turned up. I'd, I'd organised to come as a volunteer and I remember turning up on the Monday morning and no one knew I was coming. And they said, oh, you can go over there and help help Fiona on the OP wing and hang out over there. And so I did and I had the most amazing time and I really fell into it. And um, And then from there they um, I went into the festival theatre and worked on their finals and had a great time. Again, I was all was all volunteer, and then this big production was coming through Adelaide a few uh, a few weeks later, and a few of the stage management team all got sick, and they rang me up and said, "Heather, we need an assistant stage manager. Can you come and work in the festival theatre?" And I'm like, "Holy, holy hell! Are you serious? This is amazing!" So I went in and worked on this big musical, Big River, and. Uh, and that was the start of it. I had the bug. And by this point, you know, I was 20 years old. So, yeah, I came into it late in life, one might say. I'll let Brad touch on this a bit, but are you finding it's a common trend with some of our guests as far as getting into theatre 
Oh, early, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Early and, time in their career. And, and I mean, again, goes. I've spoken a little bit about my career and where I started from. You know, I think those early days of, of community theatre, of amateur theatre, or of you know, semi-professional theatre base. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's such a great grounding, and and a lot of people just start off by volunteering, by just getting involved. Yeah. It's yeah. an interest area or a passion project. And then to your point, Heather, it's like all of a sudden you go, oh, wow, I can make a career out of this or I can make some money out of this or at least I can, you know, maybe it starts as a side hustle before it even becomes a full-time thing. But, you know, people realise that there's more to it and there's so much that goes on behind the scenes in developing a yeah. theatre production that there is so many people involved that rely on particular skill sets. And, uh, you know, theatre in particular, I think everyone stays in their lane to some degree. In terms of you need you know you need costume departments you need makeup departments you need you know the production and stage management departments sets departments and so forth and they're all specialists in the mm. area. Whereas when we get into the more event stuff now that we you know once we go down that path, it, you become a little bit more generalistic in some ways. Um, but I'm interested, um, you know, obviously you did the theatre stuff in particular, Heather, and then where did you sort of the stage management craft? It, did you fall in love with the the process of stage management, or was it the music, or what what drew you into that? piece in particular to turn around and go, I'm going to, I'm going to build my career out of this. Yeah. Well, I, um, I, I did go to the center for performing arts in, in Adelaide and, and then I, um, ended up at state theater company, South Australia as an assistant stage manager and stage managing, I think just has to be one of the best jobs that there is to do, uh, in theater. It was, um, the organize as, as an assistant stage manager in a theatre company, you tend to be organising the props and the and the rehearsal room. You've got to have a memory of what we did yesterday, the continuity, keeping the um, prompt script up to date is to where what the cast are doing at any point in time, keeping the director on on schedule, making sure the right. Um, actors are there for to rehearse the right scene. There's just so much organising, and dealing with people actually is <laughs> yeah. is the really fun thing because you've got to go and talk to the people organising the props and make sure you've got the right props for today's rehearsal, and um, you know all of the things that go in and so that the rehearsal room can run smoothly and the actors have got what they need and fitting their costume. Um, fittings in and making sure they've got all the costume department they've got what they need and um, so you're dealing with every every department which is why it's so much fun Um, you you know you're liaising with the designers so that they can be in the room in the rehearsal room when they need to and then working with the theatre and um, yep. organising dressing rooms and, and the politics of it, which actor <laughs> goes into which dressing room and who gets the best dressing room. and um, it, It's a really... Which it, was you, of a, course, right, each time? Yeah, that was course, you that, yeah, that yeah. got the main, main room? <laughs> yeah. No, no. No, they, stage they managers don't get, don't get any dressing room, <laughs> mate. You get changed right next to your ops desk if you need to. Yeah. So, so uh, and it's very uh, absolutely. much a people-person a people job is what stage management is, and keeping everyone organised. Yeah, a hundred percent, and you know, very similar to that event management role. But it's that central point of communication in the theatre. You know, yeah. everything falls around the stage manager in terms of, from your point, the logistics to the organising to mm. from upper management right through to all the different departments. It all filters in and out of that stage manager. It's such a, a critical department. Um, yeah. of, of a theatre production. You'd, you'd lose your any timid behaviours pretty quickly, wouldn't you? You'd, you'd have to get it together and uh, and crack the whip. Uh, it, it, I don't know many stage managers who are very timid. <laughs> it, it, it's not really something that comes with the 
territory, that's for sure. No, I've never met one, I don't think. So, yeah. Or not no. one that's lasted very long, not that we need to name anybody, <laughs> but uh, that's a whole other story. Um, hey, you moved on, I guess, you know, okay, you've gone from ASM and then into that sort of stage manager position, but really keen to sort of start to explore some of you, particularly your event work. And, you know, you moved into uh, through that th- theatre production piece, but then into sort of more live event stuff. Can you give us a bit of an insight of how you sort of went from theatre and, and into that space? Yeah, it was after I had stage managed, I went and worked for Meryl Tankard Australian Dance Theatre for three years and I was the production tour manager there. And we toured the world a lot. We did a lot of touring. Meryl's the most extraordinary choreographer and we did amazing, um, amazing few shows that we toured the world for in three years. And then Meryl left Adelaide and um, she got one of the roles in designing, the uh, choreographing one of the opening ceremony segment for the Olympics and I thought when Australia or Sydney got the Olympics I thought I really want to be in Sydney for the Olympics and so I I planned to move to Sydney and I worked on the uh, millennial New Year's Eve celebrations on Sydney Harbour first up and then uh, moved on to the Olympics um, stage managing Merrill segment and I'd worked with another designer Nigel Jamison who also was doing a segment for the Olympics so I looked after both Nigel and Meryl's um, segments for the opening um, ceremony of the Olympics. And that was just the most extraordinary thing to work on um, at such a grand scale. You know, the rehearsal room in this instance was, you know, Schofield's Air Base, you know, <laughs> with hundreds <laughs> and thousands of children. And um, so that was sort of my real big, big taste of the, the big event life. And um, that was extraordinary fun. And uh, Heather, I want to pause on Olympics for a moment uh, because you mentioned the the millennial New Year's Eve that you did. Oh, and yeah. for those of for those of us old enough to remember that, which Brad and I definitely are old enough, uh, that was a big deal. And uh, yeah, the world it, was going to come to an end. I was oh, I was going to yeah. say there was a mix of excitement <laughs> with holy shit, is the world going to end? Because <laughs> yeah, that, that was uh, that, that was the word on the street, right? But I mean, yeah. h- how did you land that job? Because you don't just decide, okay, I'm in Adelaide, I'm going to move to Sydney, and I'm going to work on probably the biggest New Year's Eve that we have in Australia on the biggest occasion that anyone alive really at the moment has seen being the millennial? Well, with most things in the arts. Millennium, sorry. Millennium. With most things in the arts, it's who you know, of course. Yeah. And um, the, uh, one of the uh, guys that was leading the um, New Year's Eve celebrations uh, was an Adelaide person who I had worked with in Adelaide. So, ah. um, and I had contacted him and I'd worked with him and, it's all about relationships and, you know, having good relationships and you're as good as your last job and and I had a um, had worked with him and so he said, come to Sydney and work on this. And, I, I, you know, new to Sydney and there I was cruising around Sydney Harbour. I think we climbed the bridge a few times to go and check out the fireworks. It was all a bit easier back then too, I must say. It was a long time ago wasn't quite the security. <laughs> I was going to say, what was risk management like uh, back didn't in those exist. days? Yeah, really? well, I yeah. mean, it, it did exist, but it was slightly different. Uh, you know, the way I, you know, ended up climbing the bridge was certainly, uh, you, it wouldn't happen nowadays. Yeah, there we go. So, yeah, There's a it story. was who yeah. I knew. It was who I knew. 
Fantastic. Yep. And I guess the Olympics is funny. I actually saw some highlights of the uh, Sydney Olympics opening ceremony the other the other day and the way we started with, uh, you know, with that man from Snowy River sequence in particular. Mm. But looking at the production values back then and, you know, it was it was cutting edge uh, in year 2000 and you sort of look at it now and go, wow, it's we've come a long way in in a, in only 20 years really um, or just over 20 years. And But it's amazing still the level of production that's delivered um, yeah. back then. What was the experience? experience like for you going in for someone with not a huge volume of um, event stage management, but certainly the theatre stuff. And in some ways Mm. it is a big theatre stage, but um, the experience of stepping into that environment, you know, big, big major event, you know, global audience, high expectation. Um, Can you give us a bit of an insight what the process is like and behind the scenes and and how it evolved for you? Yeah. I mean, because I, um, I was working with directors, I knew and they trusted me and I trusted them. And then the relationships with everyone else, all the people that I met, the, the relationships flowed on very quickly. So very quickly there was a sense of trust between everyone that was working on the event. Everyone was out, out for this common goal, which was to, to deliver this most extraordinary opening opening event. So we were in it together. So I, I didn't ever really feel like the new girl on the block because everyone was was in the same boat, you know. None of us had really delivered a big opening ceremony like this in Australia before. I mean, there there were obviously some really experienced people working on the event, but um, it was such a team collaborative effort that um, it it just seemed to flow really well. And I never really felt like the new kid on the block, to be honest. And the rehearsals were with a lot of school groups and school kids, so. You, you easily fit into the the environment that you're in and certainly in that situation I did. Now, did you cross paths with one of our uh, previous guests on the show, which is Chong Lim? Uh, well, I didn't have much to do with the um, – no, with him, no, I didn't. No, okay. there was I thought so you were going to give us some dirt. Thousands of people. I thought you might have thrown us a Chong story. No, sorry. Uh, well, talking about stories, have you got any cool stories from – from that time, from the Sydney Olympics, is there something that's you know etched in your memory that uh, you'll never forget? In the middle of the um, opening ceremony, I remember one of the guys came off one of the big machines in the Tin Symphony that Nigel um, did. Everyone in the audience had lights um, that they were were shining from their little kits that they were given, and and one of the guys that I'd been working with that came off the uh, out from the field of play, and he said, "Heather, just stop." For a minute, I know we're all busy. Just stop and take a breath and look out there. And we just looked out there, and there was 120,000 people and all this. And it was so good to actually stop and take a snapshot in time. Because of course, we didn't have iPhones by then too. We weren't videoing. I was going to ask about that. Photos yeah, of no. everything. You know, we just had to remember our camera. And so it really was a. a I got this photographic you know memory of it and it was so good but actually one of the other great things where my worlds collided in tin symphony nigel's bit there was a whole thing about sheep shearing you know the country was built on the back of the sheep the cast had to make out they were shearing a sheep and so they didn't know how to do it and i grew up on a farm and (laughs) i was like and you know a sheep farm my my dad was a shearer and i said hang on you don't shear sheep like that so I had to give these all these people a lesson on uh, 
how to share a sheet. You know, the sheet was obviously a prop, but you still got to do it right, right? 100%. You can't can't be be in front of millions of people uh, not doing it properly. So I I gave a lesson in sheep shearing. Were the other producers standing back going, what the fuck's going on how here? Who is this person? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I can just picture you got your set of cans on or something and a clipboard in one hand and trying to do a sheep, a sheep shearing uh, education yeah. session at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to take the belly off and then you go into the long blow and then you come down, you know, all the terminology. There you go. There's something you'd never hear on a vet podcast, a sheep shearing lesson. That's amazing. Uh, fantastic. What's the, um, what's the show call uh, like on something of, of that scale in terms of how it works, you know, very different to, I assume, the theatre side of things, but even probably more so for our one-dimensional events in terms of such a massive production. Who's in control? How does it? How is it called, um, you know, and is there different levels of that that flow through to the communication down to you at a stage management level or can yeah, you give us a bit of well, an idea I around was, that? We had a stage manager in each of the entrances into yep. the onto the field of play and then there was the um, show callers up in the control room. You can imagine how stressful the show callers were when the oh, yeah. um, the Kathy Freeman lit the you know when the gas and mm. the torch didn't come on. Uh, we were all on the field of play going, holy hell, that this doesn't look right. That should have lit by now. It's very much a you're relying on everyone else to do their bit. I remember at one point in one of the rehearsals in the area where I was, I had all the big machinery coming in, and we got in a bit of a bit of a cluster where you had some of the machines in the wrong spot and trying to do u-turns and and you can easily hold everything up and the and the show caller i remember them saying heather what is going on down there and i said look you just got to give me some time i'll sort it out i just need some time every one little person and one every bit is relying on everyone else. Um, what I will ask Heather is: was there was, was it reinforced amongst all the producers and the stage managers and the directors and so forth? Was it reinforced the importance? I mean, I, it, was, it was. It's obviously import, an important moment in Australian history and sporting history. But was it reinforced uh, just the global scale that this was? And also, was there any pressures? Um, that you had at certain moments that if they didn't work or if it wasn't successful, it could have, you know, had implications for the whole experience and event? Yeah, I mean, I think most people just got on and got the job done, but there was certainly a um, uh, an underlying this is we've got a lot to, to achieve here and a, and a lot to get done, but everyone just got on and, and did it, I think. But there was a lot at stake and I think that probably in the 23 years since we've had the Olympics, it, it's, you know, I've probably forgotten all the bad things and just remember the <laughs> remember the good stuff. But it, it was, there was a lot to achieve in the amount of time we achieved it and certainly the pressure um, was felt at times. But everyone, um, I think, handled it quite well, as best as best anyone could really. Fantastic. And so you've gone on from... Sydney Olympics and then, you know, you go through New, New Year's Eve celebrations and you land a job with uh, sort of Sydney Opera House in, in the studio production coordinator role. Can you tell us a bit about how, you know, that role came about and how you moved again from, I guess, major events and now now starting to transition into venues? Yeah, I um, I, I did a, a – worked on a Sydney festival and um, it was uh, working as a Sydney festival coordinator within the Opera House. And so I got to know a few people and then the festival finished and I wasn't really working. I just went from job to job. Um, Opera House rang me up and said, we've got a four-month stint looking after the um, studio 
um, will you come back and, and work in the studio for four months? And um, four months ended up being a very uh, long association with the Opera House. So I stayed there for a year and then I went off and had my son. And um, so I didn't work there for a few years and then um, ended up going back to full-time work after having him um, as a production manager there. So I went back. Um, a and few did years you later. like? Did you like the process of the opera house, or what the opera house was stood for, and what it was about, and the productions? What What was the attraction? I guess in going back there, and also, you know, ended up being such a long tenure in your career. Yeah, yeah. The The great thing about the opera house is the variety of shows that you're involved with. Um, you're doing um, community shows, school shows, international touring shows you know, all the big acts, you're doing outdoor shows, you're doing indoor shows. Um, it's such a variety. So it, it's what makes it such a wonderful place to, to work. And you, so you, you had a little break there, as you say, you, you had your son and you freelanced a bit, but when you went yep. back to the Opera House, was that them coming to you and wanting you to come back or did you seek uh, a job back with them? How did that pan out? No, I, I was keen to go back to work and um, my husband was keen to take some time off and be the primary carer um, So and the job as a the production management job came up and it all worked out really well. So, um, yeah, it was time for me to go back to full-time work. And, and what does, I guess, a production management role at the Opera House look like in terms of for our listeners and sort of a bit of an insight into what do you do day to day? What's the job description look like and, and how do you go about it? Yeah, um, working at the Opera House, we've always said you can you can be a production manager in the outside world, but when you go and work at the Opera House, there's it's a whole different job description being a production manager at the Opera House because you're working in such a big institution and you've got to understand all the processes it's very process driven because there's just so many events you just have to be really clear on what the process is and follow the process and not get out of it otherwise something will get missed and it's the you're the the contact person for the hirer so the people coming in to put their show on and you're getting all the information from them and then disseminating it um, through the rest of the, um, you know, as a production manager, you're liaising with the lighting department, the sound department and um, the technical departments and, you know, designing the, the, the hires show for them to fit into one of the theatres inside the, the opera house. Um, and I guess was, it can never be lost on you, surely, that you're walking into what's arguably Australia's most famous landmark and tourist attraction. Did you get a buzz out of that, walking in and out of there every day? Oh, yeah, you do. You never get sick of that, um, yeah. walking along the forecourt and and um, seeing the beautiful sails and the harbour bridge and the most beautiful harbour in the world. And I don't know anybody that gets sick of that, um, everyone who's working there. And it's great to be working. All the hirers who come in, they are so thrilled to be there and to be putting their show on at the Sydney Opera House. And and some uh, are really nervous about it, some are really stressed, some take it in their stride. Um, but it's a pinnacle for a lot of hirers to, to come and, and put their show on. So it, it's great to be a part of that in people's journey, in their event journey, and you're, you're um, helping them 
deliver some of their dreams. It's really and, and just on that, Heather, is is there much of a vetting system or process that the you know, considering I guess the prestige of the Sydney Opera House and you have to bear in mind, you know, your own reputation. Is there a vetting process as far as what types of events come in and perhaps saying no to something that doesn't fit the brand? Um, look, there is to a certain degree because supply uh, is greater, uh, well, demand, sorry, is much greater than supply, than venue supply. So um, you could fill the venues up many times over throughout the year. And there's not a huge amount of availability by the time there's um, there's resident companies at the Opera House, so they all get their um, their footprints in the venues, and then there's the regular commercial hirers. So there is a certain amount of vetting, but they're also really focused on making sure there's diverse programming and something for everybody. And so the venue hire team do a lot of work on on making sure that there's a bit for everybody and everyone's needs are met. So, um, yeah, but certainly there's um, more people want to come to the Opera House than what there are dates available. Yeah, I'm not surprised. And, I mean, I've always said when you go in and hire a venue, you're stepping into someone else's lounge room. It's something, yeah. it's, it's your baby. It's what you manage day in, day out. And the Opera House is probably the epitome of all lounge rooms uh, in, the, in the country, if not one of the best in the world. But how do you guys go about supporting those promoters, those event companies, uh, and all those hirers and diverse range that you have to be able to deliver the, the events and the visions that they have? Yeah, look, it we have to be very, and certainly as my role as general manager of event operations, it was very much about having very clear guidelines so that when a, a hirer is coming and they might be a new hirer, right from day one, being very clear on what we need as a venue uh, to be able to deliver their event. And um, communication is really important. And it's a union house, so we need information, you know, and the timelines are really important. So we make sure that everyone is aware of that right when they um, sign up to come and do their show. And, and you know, sometimes you sort of have to help the hirers make decisions because they don't necessarily know the venues. They don't know necessarily how long it takes to do something in our venue. So you've really got to hold... Um, people's hands, um, particularly the new hirers, you've got to hold their hand and and guide them through the the complexities of of putting on a show and 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 your show that's a part of such a very big machine. Um, so communication it all comes down to that, really. Fantastic. Uh, have you seen any crazy stories, or is there any sort of memorable events that have rolled through there that uh, go down in uh, in folklore? Look, there's some great shows. I mean, we did um, Prince was in the um, yeah. concert hall. Ed Sheeran, before he was Ed Sheeran, did a little Unplugged, which was great just to be sitting in the audience. Certainly got to see some amazing artists, but uh, the forecourt is, was my passion. I loved the outdoor events that we did there. And What's the biggest, the Oprah one? Oh, yeah. That well, looked huge I, or... Oprah was huge. Of course, everyone remembers what yep. happened to Hugh Jackman uh, as he hit the lighting bar from his um, flying fox. Um, the the forecourt. That would have really, been a, a bit of a hairy moment for yourself. Uh, yeah, it yeah. certainly was. I mean, we'd done a lot of work on that flying fox, as you can imagine, on um, 
how that was going to work and, and dealing with um, Hugh's stunt team and, and everyone involved. And it was just unfortunate that that, what, that happened what happened. But, um, yeah, no, the forecourt is certainly where there's been some really big acts and, and certainly some of my most memorable uh, moments. And, you know, everyone laughs at me. I've always got a toilet story. It's always the toilets and queues where things Bring go wrong. Bring it on. You we know? we, we yeah. like a good toilet <laughs> right, story. Give it to <laughs> us. Give us well, one. Well, we, we, we had an event out on the Northern Boardwalk once and we it, it was a long event. It went for about four hours and the uh, toilet providers, it was back in the day when we had a tank. And you can see where this oh, is going. We did the yep. climate. We had tanks. And someone said, uh, I don't know, you know, the calculations were a bit wrong, but I, you know when you tap a tank to see how full it is and you're tapping, this tank is really full. Uh-oh. So, oh, my God, we're going to. We're going to run out of toilets and we <laughs> rang the toilet provider and, of course, they, their depot and their drivers were, were right, you know, way out of Sydney. So they said, well, we can get a driver, get them to the depot, get a tank to pump out the, um, get a truck to pump out the tank. And in the meantime, a few of us in at the, um, we're trying to work out how we can get the audience to into toilets in another venue and, um, oh, it was very stressful. Can you imagine like a crowd of a couple of thousand people who are out having a good night, partying, drinking, that, all right, you, there's no toilet, you know, like no toilet, no event, you know? So, yeah. you, so you, it, it, the, the trees copped it, right? Is that what you're saying? There's no well, trees. there are no trees. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, the wolves, <laughs> sorry. The concrete or the, 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 the truck, the truck oh. made, made it in the nick of time. But then there was the other time when uh, on the forecourt where someone put something down the portaloos that they shouldn't have put down the portaloos and all the portaloos stopped. And I just happened to be wandering around and, and I heard the call on the radio that, oh, there's something wrong with the toilets and all the toilets were banking up. Uh, and the, the toilet provider was great, fixed the problem. But... What it meant was that you had to actually go into every toilet and flush the toilet to get them all back working again. And everyone was busy working and there I, um, there I was and, and uh, Matt, one of our contractors, we had to go into every toilet and flush it. And you oh, just fantastic. think, oh, my God, what? here we are in the it's glamour. The, yeah, I was going to say, that's been your day. That's the, yeah. glamorous, the glamorous world that we live in the, in events, the right? The glamorous yeah. world. It's and. You know, one New Year's Eve, we had queues of people at the toilets. And we're like, what is going on here? Like, this is the same formula we use every year. But why this year is there these huge queues to the toilets? And you just can't have that, right? You just no. People can't queue for a long time for a toilet generally. And so we had to find another way to open up some of the internal toilets to get rid of the queue. And, of course, on New Year's Eve, all the roads are closed. And uh, and then someone said, oh, I think they're running out of toilet paper. And it's like, oh, my God, you know, how, how can this happen? <laughs> anyway, oh, they managed yep. to get some more in. Yeah, but, off to calls. Off to calls, get some lube. But yeah. It's like without toilets, you have no event. I don't care what anyone says. Like toilets make or break an event. 
A hundred percent. The most important thing, and yeah. it's where the my most horror stories come from. Yeah. So, any budding <laughs> event managers out there, or anyone listening, you can have the greatest event on the planet, but if your toilets don't work and you don't have enough of them, more importantly, then it's a, it's a right. big fail. Yeah, especially when you're um, fighting over budget, and you're like, "Do we need yeah, these toilets? You, need you the absolutely toilets. do need those loos." Um, no, and that's what it became at the Opera House. It was like, "Have we got a heather amount of toilets?" So, there's the amount of toilets you might think. <laughs> And then you add some. Yeah. It's got to be because I, I got to a point with, with the team at work. It's like I'm not having an issue with we don't have enough toilets. So, you know, you get what you think and then you add some. Well, some might call you the Kenny of the Sydney Opera House, but yeah. at least you got the toilet <laughs> right. sorted. So that's fantastic. Um, I guess a great way to segue into, and you're probably in this role when you already did it, but you, the event operations and planning became, you know, your major role at the at the yeah. Opera House. What's the difference between the production manager role to then transitioning into the operations and, and planning and, and how did your career shift at that point? Yeah, so the... Manager of event operations was the manager of the, the production manager team and the account management team uh, and the stage managers. And so they're the whole delivery um, workforce and the people who work with all the hirers. So the account managers at the Opera House liaise with all the hirers on their, their invoice and their quote and all their uh, the marketing that they need, the ticketing, um, security, the food and beverage riders, everything that doesn't have a plug on it, as we say, and the production managers are doing all the technical stuff. So they're a team, the account manager and production manager, and every hirer that comes to the Opera House has an account manager and a production manager to deliver their event. And the um, general manager of our ops works um, over the top of those teams. Um, so very much trying to you know, foresee issues, the longer term planning, putting fires out that might need to be put out, um, doing all the corporate, um, all the statutory compliance. There's a lot of rules at the Opera House. I can um, imagine. Mm. Particularly the outdoor stuff. Um, being a World Heritage building, um, there's a lot of things you you can't do outside. You're not allowed greenery outside of the Opera House. There you go. I was just about to ask, what are some of the rules? What what can and can't you do there to give uh There's no greenery. It's a man-made, yep. man-made environment. Um, you can't have white infrastructure. Um, no white. No white. No white what's, infrastructure. What's, uh, what's going on there? Well, the sails aren't completely white. So if you put white marquees out there, Ah, then it will make the sails look dirty. And um, Jorn, Jorn Utzon wrote uh, uh, a letter to the Opera House many years ago when he was still alive, lightning, uh, talking about white infrastructure outside and that, um, and he likened it to if you had a white tooth in the you know front of your mouth, it would make all your other teeth um, look dirty. Yellow. So there you go. Great. Yeah. There's a little fun I fact. Know. I, I know. Straight to the you, trivia table. Are you yeah. living out a secret here? Uh, that, well, that's really, that's fascinating. Well, it, yeah. if you do an outdoor event, the Opera House, you have to learn. And you're not allowed to put things in certain locations either. You have to maintain the view. So when of you course. walk down Circular Quay and you walk around the toaster building there, you want to be able to see the sails in all their Well, glory. Instagram would shut down, right, if some of the angles were. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Know. 
<laughs> We're hidden. <laughs> um, so without being too specific, because you talked about troubleshooting and, and just being there for, you know, put the fires out, so to speak. Um, without being too specific, were there any, ever any moments of potential danger at the Opera House being such a, you know, a prominent wor- you know, global location? Well, I mean, it, there's been a lot of changes over the years. You know, we touched briefly, you know, how different things were back on the Olympics. But, you know, when the attacks happened in Paris, was that 2005? That was when, yeah. yep. you know, there was a lot of changes need to happen at the Opera House. That's when we started bag searching, everybody going in. And when you make big changes like that, there's a lot of knock-on effect. There's a lot of things to do and a lot of things to take into account. Where's the bag searching going to be? How do people know? Do they need to allow more time? Where are you going to check the ticket? What if there's something in a bag that needs to be confiscated? Um, Making sure everyone cloaks their bags, communication with patrons. That was one of the really big shifts that we had to go through. Um, But that wasn't necessarily danger at the Opera House. That was a, a global situation that the world was responding to. Yeah, that was just a shift in so, risk management, really. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. how I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah what exactly. about any other innovations you know, over your time there? Did you have any sort of impact on innovational processes or systems or the way that you guys did things and, and maybe what we'd experience now that's very different than when you started years ago? Yeah, I mean, we in my time I made some big changes to the way the forecourt was managed. Like we did some a lot of work on um, – with the sound design, with the PAs, and how we noise monitored noise, um, so that the the residents in the toaster building weren't yep. um, too disrupted. <laughs> and 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 there at one point, you know, the the forecourt was a challenging venue with the way that we had to manage noise. It was very hard for an international promoter to understand how we manage how we measured noise because we measured it over at the toaster building, not at the front of house guests. Um, so we did a lot of work on the forecourt and made some some really big changes there, and and it's a really a really great venue now. Like I stood there and watched Fat Freddy's drop at the end of last year, and there was six thousand people jumping on the steps, and I thought, wow, this is actually loud enough, which is great for an outdoor venue mm. to to feel that. So yeah, that that was a, a really big change. Um, and a really great change to, to make the forecourt a really great. There's nothing better than sitting on the steps on a beautiful night, um, watching you know, watching some music that you like, and um, with the you know, and then you might have a ship that's leaving dock, that's leaving the overseas passenger terminal and the bridge. It's a perfect harbour for outdoor concerts. It's really fantastic. Yeah, you can barely take a a wrong photo there. Um, during 2020 lockdown, you became a board member for the Venue Management Association. Yeah. Can you explain some of your tasks associated with this role and what drew you uh, into that uh, association and, and in ways giving back um, to, to the industry? Yeah. Look, it's um, it's been great being on the board. It's um, it's a great association that and what I love about it, I've, I've been to the Congress for many years, is what's the VMA Congress, which is what got me involved. Um, and it's just such a great networking opportunity. You get to know people, talk to people about what they're doing and how they're doing it. And um, being on the board, um, I 
was uh, chair of the Congress committee for um, the Sydney Congress in 22, which was, I never knew I had it in me. I always used to go to conferences and things and think, wow, how do people come up with ideas on what to do? And and then when I did, well, I did a mini Congress in um, 21 when we would, we just did local Congresses instead of a national Congress uh, in Sydney um, out at Kudos Bank Arena in 21. It was just a half day and, um, and I just asked my, my colleagues, I said, if you wanted to go to a Congress, what would you want to hear about? Um, and so that's how I came up with a lot of my topics. And then when I was chair of Congress committee for, at, at, um, in Sydney in 22, um, I just pulled out, you know, a lot of people I knew and topics I was interested in. And because I thought, well, if I'm interested in them and if my friends and my colleagues are interested in them, then probably other people are too. And that rang true. It was good. So, yeah, it's been a great association um, to be associated with the, with the VMA. And they do some great things. Were you happy with the 2023 Congress? Oh. I, I heard that went well. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard it went quite well, yeah. Excellent. <laughs> oh, yes, and for the listeners, there's a, there's a certain yeah. member who's sitting next to me that might have had something to do with that as well. So, no, uh, wasn't no, it very, great. very well done. I mean, the um, centrepiece, what an amazing venue you guys yeah, have got is. down there. What do you think about other venues when you see them now? Do you compare them back to sort of, you know, your experience, you know, for Opera House and other venues or are you, are you learning different things or do you come in and analyse them from top to bottom? I know I do that when I go to the theatre, I analyse it from top to bottom in five yeah. minutes. But It's uh, always great going somewhere new, isn't it, and you uh, yeah. uh, seeing it for the first time and seeing how things are. Uh, and you can always get something out of it, whether it's something that, is not going well and you can learn from that. I think oh, something that's going really well that you can learn from. So going to different venues is, um, is a, great, a great thing to do even. And, you know, if I get the opportunity to go and see a show, I don't really mind if I like the act or not. I just like the experience, you know, of um, going to see something. For sure. Do you still get to the theatre much? Is that sort of a a passion or do you have any hobbies that align with your work or is there any other things that you do in your life to keep yourself occupied when you you go home? Well, I go to the theatre quite a bit just because I'm, you know, involved and um, which is great. Um, And then when I'm at home, my dog's getting very old so the dog walks (laughs) aren't quite what they used to be. (laughs) But that's what I love. I love walking. I live near on the normally spit walk, walking in Fantastic. the in the bush. You say you say you go still go to the theatre quite regularly. Do you get that itch ever to get That's back right. into stage managing? No, I don't. I don't think I'd have the patience anymore. I think <laughs> when I was younger, I could put up with people's shenanigans a bit more than probably what I could now. <laughs> it's funny what happens when you get a bit older, yeah. isn't it? So, oh well, you never know. You might end up down at one of the congress or something, just putting the set of cans on and having a little go over. One yeah. of the sessions in the future. Never say never. Yeah. No. Look, and and when I was stage managing, I you know I didn't have a kid and you know a family because I I think it really is very much a way of life. You know, like you can you you meet great friends, you go out, you have drinks after after work, and you know it certainly is a lifestyle working in the theatre. That's for sure. I couldn't keep 100%. up with it nowadays. 
No, we've all been there. We still have a go when we can. So, but that I guess is part of the lifestyle, isn't it? You know, you touch on lifestyle. Um, we're not a nine to five job. It's certainly, certainly something not. that encompasses uh, all our lives, and but that's what we love about it, and that's what keeps yeah. us passionate about it. So, um, yeah. earlier in the year, after seventeen years, uh, you moved on from Sydney Opera House to take on a role with uh, Create New South Wales. Can you tell us a bit about what drove that change and why you wanted to go down a different path, uh, and what your current role is there now? Um, look, I, I was ready for a change. It, it was it, it pained me to leave the opera house in a way. Like I, I, I loved my team there. I loved the people there, but I just needed to do something different. Um, and there wasn't really much more. I, you know, really that I could achieve. I felt, you know, that I'd sort of come to the end of, you know, my, uh, my time there. And um, this job at um, precinct manager at Walsh Bay Arts Precinct came up and I thought, oh, that looks quite good. It's not as operational as the Opera House job. And um, it's an amazing precinct down here. It's got nine um, resident companies who call the place home. And, you know, I'm broadening my my skills in terms of the things I've got to do. Um, it's only a bit, I've got a very small team here. Um, small but very but they pack a punch you know we're trying to do our brand and our marketing we've got some spaces here we want to open up some new restaurants um, trying to get Walsh Bay Arts Precinct on the map a bit more it's a new place it was a redevelopment that the arts companies have only moved in for the last couple of years so the arts companies are in and settled now. I mean, some companies like the Sydney Theatre Company, Sydney Dance Company. I mean, they've been been down here for a long time, but Pier Two Three is new. Where I was taught, where I said before, I was when I started the interview, the home of Bell Shakespeare and ACO and ATYP. They've all got new venues, so uh, running new venues down here, um, getting people used to the new the new venues and coming and visiting the, the place. So there's lots to do in that next, the next phase of um, putting Welsh Bay Arts Precinct on the map as a, as a place. And where, whereabouts is it exactly, Heather? Um, well, now when I get off the ferry at Circular Quay, instead of turning left to go to the Opera House, I turn right. It's just on the uh, west side of the Harbour Bridge. Do you so ever get confused? Sit, do you go the wrong way occasionally? <laughs> No, I haven't yet. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm a Westie Very now. I'm on the west side of the uh, Harbour Bridge. So fantastic. Um, well, we're at the stage where uh, we like to. I like to hand over to Buzz here, and he's got what he's called his rapid fire questions, all prepped and ready to go for another week. So. Look, let's not waste any time with it. Uh, Buzz, over to you, mate. Thank you very much. Now, um, I'm going to go off the script here because you mm. mentioned Prince before and that got my attention because I love Prince. He's my yeah. he's at the top for me, number one. What's what's your fondest memory of that Prince show? I think when he, he walked on stage and there was just this feeling that you were in the room with someone special. You certainly were. Uh, now, do you know how many visitors Sydney Opera House gets per year? I, I think it's about 13 million. Wow. Is that correct? Do you know? <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, I, was just a, right. I thought it was, uh, you know. No, I, I didn't do any Google searches. I just thought I'd leave it to Heather. That's, that's a uh, lot of that's, people. That's impressive I mean, for, if, for, if it's true. For, for many years, well, maybe, maybe it's about 10, might be 10. For many years, they, was, they said Only. seven. 
seven, seven million, seven million. And then they said that for many years. And then they thought, hang on, we should, you know, have a look at this. Surely it's not still seven. It might be about 10. Let me say 10. Heather, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. Let's stick with 13. (laughs) Okay. So how many prime ministers have you met? I don't think I've met prime ministers. Really? Oh, I I thought that would have been part of the deal with all the PMs coming in and out of that place. Stays behind the scenes. Royalty. (laughs) Oh, wow. There we go. Do tell. Come on, hit us with that. Mary and Fred and William and Kate came and um, Harry and Megan and, um, yeah, a bit of royalty, but um, not so much prime ministers. Outside of the Opera House, what's your favourite venue in Sydney? It would have to be the event space at Wolf Bank's precinct. Good ah, answer. Very good. Very I like diplomatic. I like it. Got to give yourself yeah. a plug. That's great. Yeah, That's great work. Yeah. What advice would you go back and give to your 20-year-old self? I think the most important thing you can do in life is love going to work every day. Have fun. Don't take yeah, it too it. serious. Have yeah. fun. More about that. Well, my final one is um, I'm going to Foo Fighters in Sydney in a few weeks. Now, what's the best place for me to go and get a beer before the show? I don't even know what venue they're on at. Where are they? Um, the one that's way out because Sydney's oh, all over the place. Bush. Oh, home bush. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 No okay. good place out there to get a beer. Sorry, I shouldn't <laughs> say that. <laughs> I, am play- I am staying in Surrey Hills though. Oh, well, there's – Plenty of good places in Surrey Hills. Your yeah. corner, your local pub. Okay. Just stick yeah. with that, which there is where I'm staying. So just stick with the local right. on the corner. Stick with the local, yeah. That's a solid answer. I like yeah. The closest pub to your bed is the safest bet. Pretty so, much. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Uh, Heather, to finish each episode um, of An Eventful Life, we've started a bit of a tradition whereby we have asked the previous guest to leave the next guest a question mm. without knowing who they are. Mm. So today's question to you. What is the biggest mistake you have made and what did you learn from it? Oh, the biggest mistake. I'm not sure I can necessarily think of a big mistake. I mean, there's a lot of little things that go wrong as you go along, but I think the the biggest learning I've got out of all the different things in life is you have to own your mistakes and come clean and honest. That's one of the biggest lessons I think I've learned in life, particularly when you're managing people and working with people. You just want people to be honest with you and everyone fucks up. Exactly. At some point, um, people make mistakes, people think that they can fix something and so they cover it up and it just becomes worse. And So my biggest learning would have to be around just be honest and um, true and if you make, if you do something wrong, own it. I like it. I think it's a very valuable lesson that mm. a lot of us could uh, take on board sometimes. So particularly yeah. in this industry where we're so worried about making a mistake, and yes, yeah. we try not to make them, but you know things happen, yeah. and that, things that's happen, life. and you've just got to not not only with events but with anything, right? And you've just got to, you know, and sometimes things that go wrong turn into something positive. For sure. 
Totally. Mm. Well, I think that's a great way to wrap up uh, this episode of An Eventful Life. Um, Heather, thank you very much uh, for your time uh, and for your insights and uh, what an amazing career you've had. And uh, yeah, just fascinating. Oh, yeah, incredibly you. fascinating. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah, it's I still been go so back nice to the Olympics. To chat with it's you amazing. Guys. Yeah, yeah no, uh, the Olympics really nice is certainly something different there that uh you know is it's great to hear the inside story you don't often get that uh for people that have worked on the inside and uh and as well as going on to the sydney opera house and what an iconic uh, a venue that is and um yeah so well done on everything you've achieved so far and we oh, look, look forward you. to seeing thanks, what you've guys. got next and uh what's around the corner with vma and uh and everything else in your pipeline so we wish great. you all the very best and um and look forward to catching up soon thanks guys thanks very much nice to chat Thank you for listening to this week's episode of An Eventful Life. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss an episode. It makes a huge difference to us. And don't forget you can also find us on our new YouTube channel. This show is for you, our listeners. Our aim is to bring you the most in-depth conversations and life experiences from the event industry. So if you have any feedback, suggestions on guests you would like us to interview on the show, please reach out to us through our social media channels. I'm Brad. And I'm Shane. See you next time on An Eventful Life.